Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. But y'all showed up this week. I ran into so many of you this week who just came out to see what's going on, to either take in the goat show or a cake auction, who just stopped by the pig pens to say hey and meet the most famous pig in all of Carroll County because this congregation also had a pig on the front page. And you all showed up with your notes and texts and Facebook messages and comments of congratulations and encouragement. I can't remember a fair where I felt so much extra support and the work you all did when it became apparent that arrangements were going to be needed for other things. It's been an insane week with a couple of funerals as we say, said goodbye to dear saints of ours to celebrate a wedding. And I said, look, I need help. And you all showed up to do that work as well in remarkable ways. It really was incredible. And I simply wanted to start the sermon this morning by saying thank you. As if there's one, if pastors have a very limited job description, but I think on the top of that job description really is to say thanks and to acknowledge good work and to acknowledge love. And I just want you to know that I felt that love in a really powerful and special way this week. Thank you for loving me and my family, and thank you for loving the families that we've been blessed to minister to in these important moments in our lives. For me, for families who needed you, you have been the answer to last week's sermon. You have been the manna in the wilderness. And you should know how your kindness has strengthened so many for the journey this week. So that's the place that I'm in as I sit down to write this week's sermon. And perhaps unfortunately, but I'm going to listen to the voice of the Spirit here, that in some ways this week is going to finish last week's sermon and start a new one by saying that I am a very tired pastor this morning. The past week has been a remarkable one, but this is, my fifth church, this is my fifth sermon in eight days. Nobody should feel sorry for me, but I do have to tell you that I'm really tired of hearing myself talk. Okay? <laughs> that we had the opportunity to say goodbye to Vivian, and we honor the Sipe family today. We had the opportunity to say goodbye to Richard, and we honor the Hess family today. We had the opportunity to welcome Mr. and Mrs. Clark into this space, and we honor your presence today as well. And so I'm tired. So when I turn to the readings for this week, I'm coming at this from the very place that we talked about last week, a tired family and a tired people. And maybe, just maybe, God needed me to write a really tired sermon to hear what the word of God might have for all of us together. Because this is, of course, what we talked about last week. What does it mean to be a tired people? And because of just sort of the weariness of coming to the pulpit today, I was drawn to this passage from 1 Kings. We read this morning of one of the most important heroes of the Old Testament and one of its least preached figures. And this is, of course, as Jane appropriately pointed out, the story of Elijah. And if there's a patron saint for being worn out, it is this guy. Elijah is one of Israel's most revered prophets now because he is one of its most maligned prophets then. Hear that again. He is one of Israel's most honored prophets now. In fact, it's it's not insignificant that he shows up at the transfiguration itself. Elijah is one of Israel's most revered prophets now because he was one of the most maligned when he did his work. 
At his time, Israel is in a state of rapid moral and societal decline, and he's the only one left to call Israel back to its truest and deepest self. Except, well, Israel's really not all that interested in what God has to say. Israel is more interested in political intrigue and power. Indeed, in the previous chapter to the one that we read today, King Ahab, an ominous name for those of us who speak the English language, but nevertheless, King Ahab calls Elijah, (laughs) Elijah, I really am tired, Elijah, the troubler of Israel. Not the kind of thing you want the king to be calling you. Because Israel has become cozy, not with the God of Israel, but with the prophets of Baal. And this religious arrangement has played to their religious and economic advantage. And Elijah gets in trouble because you often do get in trouble when you call out the nation's idols. And so after two years of dancing around Ahab, after two years of doing his prophetic work and seeking to avoid the punishment as Ahab seeks to bring his office down on Elijah's head, As he's running concerned and uncertain, Elijah finally calls out Ahab to a confrontation. And in one of the most explosive stories in the Old Testament, there is a contest. Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Perhaps you remember this from Sunday school. It's one of the few stories of Elijah that we do tell. But the the contest really was that. There were two altars that were set up on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal were in charge of one, Elijah was in charge of the other, and they were going to see whose God was going to answer their prayers. And and so the prophets of Baal get to go first. And so they pray and dance, and they scream for Baal to come and to send fire upon this offering, and nothing happens. And so they go to even further lengths. They start mutilating themselves, harm themselves, screaming very out of place and very, one, might also, all, one might say very disturbing screams, trying to get God's attention and still nothing. Now, one of my favorite things about Elijah, he's got a little snark to him, and he actually says to them, shout louder, surely he is a God, perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah, if they're trying to kill you, maybe that's not what you want to be saying to the prophets of Baal. But anyway... Nothing happens. And so it becomes Elijah's turn, who Elijah, in another way of of poking the bear, so to speak, he douses his offering in water, buckets upon buckets upon buckets, so that the very trench around it is filled with water. It's not just that it's wet. There is standing water on this offering. And he, without cutting himself or screaming, he simply prays, and fire rains down from heaven. So much fire, it tells us, that not only did it burn up the offering, which of course was the, was the goal, that was how you were going to win this confrontation, it burned up the entire altar, all the way down to the stone. It is a remarkable victory for Elijah and for the faith that he defends. So Elijah gets paraded around as a hero, right? Not so much. There is no joy, there is no celebration, there is no parade. Elijah does this wonderful work for God. Now he is hated and hunted. His life is not just in danger. His life is in immediate danger. He embarrassed his own government and now is running for his life from a bloodthirsty Jezebel. So he goes into the wilderness, which is what we read today. He sat down under a brush 
and prayed that he might die. That is not what Sam thought he prayed. That is what Scripture recounts to us that he prayed. He prayed a prayer, Lord, let me go. Surely his thought in that moment is that if this immaculate demonstration of God's power and authority isn't going to change the course of a nation, then what's the point of my work? If I can do this, if I can literally beat, God, beat their gods at a contest and that's not going to change anybody's mind, then what in the world am I doing here? Perhaps some of us understand that sentiment. And it is a reminder to us of what we talked about last week, that our biggest victories can make us vulnerable to the weariness of body and soul that can come in their wake. Elijah says, I have had enough, Lord. This is his prayer. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah goes to a very dark place. This describes so much of this continuing saga that we find ourselves in as we continue to think about what it means to be church in this culture-changing moment. And as we said last week, trying to, tired having to invent new ministry whole cloth on the fly, tired from the weariness we get from having to walk this alone. And I know we're not alone, but there are moments it sure feels like we are. Tired of feeling like the whole world is changing, we have no control over it. Tired of this pressure to return to normal when so many of us don't even have any idea what normal is anymore. And even when we get it right, our bodies are tired, our mental health is strained to its breaking point. That is what Elijah is sharing with us today. Elijah is saying to be the people of God is not to float on clouds and everything's going to be great. Sometimes it means we're beat down into the mud. Elijah is experiencing weariness of body, soul, and yes, even mind. We can point to Elijah maybe also as the patron saint of what it looks like for our mental health to go sideways. His role as a prophet of God, one of the revered prophets of God, doesn't protect him from any of that. But the sermon I want to preach about Elijah is that God shows up. What struck me about this as I sat down in my, my chair in the basement, very, very tired and popped open. I didn't even bother to open my Bible. I looked it up on the internet. The thing that struck me is the very blunt instructions that this angel comes to Elijah and gives. He says, get up, meet. The angel, God's messenger, doesn't leave the vulnerable and the weary to themselves to figure it out on their own. You know Why? Because God knows we're vulnerable. God knows our brains aren't clicking in the same way that we're used to. God knows that in our weariness, sometimes we're not at our best. We aren't likely in our weariness to make solid, sound decisions for ourselves. And all of us know what that looks like. This is not intended to be offensive, only that I know in my own body as I stand before you that I'm not in my best, I'm not at my best when mind and body are tired. So God commands Elijah not to press on. He doesn't command Elijah, guess what, we've got another contest lined up for next Saturday. No, 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 he says, get up and eat. We are so accustomed to God's command sounding in a certain way, Right? Get up and go there. Serve that person. Speak this word. Heal this wound. 
And mostly we're accustomed to that because that's what so often washes over us in communities of faith. There are parties who sometimes want to use people to get things done, to increase visibility, stature, all the reasons that we do stuff in the world. And so much of that comes from a good heart. Yes, we want to make a difference in the world, right? But when we do that, we can often fall into the trap of neglecting the very vessel God plans to use to make that difference. You won't make a difference in the world if we are worn down. And here God gives clear command. Do this. Not for someone else, for you. And it carries all the weight of a command of God. It is not a suggestion. It's like, hey, dude, if you're hungry, I got a, I got a little buffet over here. No, no, no. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. Get up and eat. The choice is clear for Elijah. He can either obey or he can sin. And Elijah's choice is to obey. Briefly, there are three ways God protects his faithful servant in this moment. The first is that he sent Elijah into the wilderness. Wilderness is a place without civilization, so, so to speak. It is beyond life. It is beyond expected norms. We get away from the, from the din of the world's expectations and getting to a place where there are no easy answers or easy fixes, but there is plenty of quiet where we can hear the voice of God. Second, it tells us multiple times that Elijah fell asleep. We cannot underestimate the importance of simply letting our bodies recover. And that does not mean, and I am as guilty of this as the next person, of binge-watching or overworking or overeating or the other things that we do that we often pass off as rest but doesn't actually contribute anything back to us. If you're like, Pastor, would you own up to something? Sure. I've been binge-watching Cobra Kai for the last two weeks because I just need my brain to do something that isn't church-related from time to time. But it's not resting me. Great show, by the way. But not doing my soul any good. Just simply allow our bodies to stop and to recuperate on its own terms is a really important thing. And finally, God provides food. He feeds him. Let's just cut to the chase here. All of our wisdom and our training and our holiness and cleverness and creativity cannot and will not override our need for basic nutrition. It's important that we hear all of these things, wilderness, rest, food, for what it is. It's God's command to heal. And only then is Elijah sent back on the journey. He's sent on a 40-day journey, the path of God's faithful people into the unknown, a world where we rely on God's grace. So maybe, just maybe, I'm preaching to myself this morning, both as a Christian and as a pastor, but I suspect I'm not the only one who needs a deep breath as we try to figure out what it means to be faithful to God in this season. God is not asking us weary travelers to strengthen ourselves or pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. God is not leaving us to ourselves to binder twine our lives back together after seasons of great difficulty. God gives us very specific instructions, quiet, rest, nutrition. You're not done. We're not just packing up and we're finished with our work. There's a, there's a whole 40 days ahead of us. But for now, just rest. Sometimes we wonder, what does God want from me? Sometimes it's just grab a bite and take a nap. 
So church, how will we do that? How will we collectively be obedient to God's instructions for God's people? So what I'm going to do this morning, I don't do this a lot, but I'm going to reach back into reach back and pull something out that God laid on my heart this morning. I'm going to ask Marianne to just play a little bit of soft music. And I'm going to invite you to simply close your eyes. And if you fall asleep, great. That's going to be on the podcast. It's one of the few times I ever say that in church. If you fall asleep, great. But I just want to invite you into a moment of silence to reflect and to ask God that very question. Lord, what is it you want from me?